Amen. Amen. This morning we find ourselves in week four of a series called Faithful. You know the kind of faith that you've experienced in someone, this sort of steady, rock-solid foundation faith, where nothing seems to shake it. They'll say, Lord is, the God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, and they don't do it in this sort of trite way, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what I mean by that, but they just have this enduring faith that you, as, as someone that maybe has doubts or someone who isn't really sure about God, that you want to emulate that sort of faith that leads us in our life. Or perhaps it's right after you started following Jesus, or perhaps it's, you know, when this time in your life when you were just growing in your faith and just really kind of connecting, and th that sort of faith, there's five catalysts, I believe, that launch us into that, or that help us with that. And we've talked about three of them already. We began with talking about practice, a practical teaching, that God's intention that is that for us to embody the practices that Jesus had, that Jesus taught about, and that the Bible has. It's not just enough to believe, that God wants our belief to be put into practice, to do. There's a fancy word in theology called orthopraxy versus orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means what do you believe, and orthopraxy means what do you practice. God wants us to be orthopraxy Christians, like having right practices, good practices, that we should be in the process of changing our lives. And there is no other way that I think that God changes our lives more than the second catalyst that we talked about, which is uh, with providential relationships. That there's those people in our lives that change our lives forever, right? And you know exactly who I'm talking about in your faith story, because that person just kind of shines like a light bulb in your mind who helped you along the way. And, and if you haven't had one of these times in your lives when you really just feel rock solid or growing, maybe it's because you haven't pressed into some of those relationships out there. We can't control the relationships. God kind of brings them into our life without us being able to control, but we can lean into those relationships. Last week, uh, we talked about private disciplines, that any faith story has disciplines in someone's life. Whether it's even in the midst of a pandemic, opening up your computer and joining in on worship, so thank you, or whether it's coming even in the midst of the pandemic and being with us in the morning. Sunday morning is one of the disciplines, but all too often it becomes a sort of relying discipline that sometimes people have. It's like, if I do that, I'm good, right? Well, yes, that is a good thing to do, and you should also pray. You should also read your Bible. You should also serve your local community and give of yourself back. Those are ways in which we discipline our lives so that we might have this faithful life, this steady-as-a-rock faith. And this week, we're going to talk about something a, a little uh, different. It's out of our control again, and this is pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things that fascinates me or one of the things about my journey is that I find myself as a, a time in my life, what we call a post-evangelical. I know, you may be like, what the heck are you talking about, Brian? Well, so I, I fell into the Christian tradition and I fell into it within an evangelical church. Evangelical is a fancy, broad term for this personal engagement that we have in our faith. 
that we say yes and we engage personally to this. It's one of the hallmarks of it. Billy Graham is one of the evangelical leaders, right? And Billy Graham would get these big stadiums together of people and call people to personally respond to Jesus, right? It wasn't enough to go to church. It wasn't even enough to have the practices in life. It was this personal engagement of turning of your heart, going after that. This is evangelical faith. But one of the things that kind of is the flip side of that is that there's a lot of conversation within the evangelical church or like in the, what they preach about, what they sing about, about sort of me, 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 my heart changing. God is so good. God is so good to me. And I'm not trying to bash it. This was just my experience. But there came a point when I got disenfranchised by that language that was there. And I got disenfranchised by that language because I realized that God is good, but the connotation in in the context that I had grown up is is that God is good and that things will be good to you, Like, like life will be good to you. And I know that that is a little bit of a distortion what the people were teaching, but it it was just kind of my experience. It was this sort of hearken back to the Old Testament, retributive justice. It, It was a theme throughout the Old Testament that if you do good, good will befall you, right? If you do good, good things will happen to you. And I know that for some of us, it just seems crazy to think like that within our faith, but it it is just kind of permeated within so many different religious understandings, especially of God. In fact, so much so that a professor at Duke Divinity School, Kate Bowler, didn't even know that it was deep within her until she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, probably about seven or eight years ago. Kate Bowler was a professor in the prosperity gospel, friends. So talking about the people that stand up on, you know, Sunday morning and say, if you give the church money, you will then become rich, right? You know, those sorts of conversations, the televangelists that say, you got to give money, you got to do good, right? Like that stuff. And so she would critique them and see where they came from. And so she is on her radar, right? That, no, that's not how God works. Until she got diagnosed with colon cancer out of nowhere, And then she started thinking to herself, wait a second, this isn't supposed to happen to me, right? I'm a a professor at an esteemed university and in the graduate program, like this, I, I I eat healthy, I do the right things. It's not supposed to happen to me. And it was as she interrogated the depths of her soul throughout that difficult time in her life, she realized that even she carried this expectation. She had gotten A's, she had done the right things, gotten into the right programs. So the expectation was that good things were supposed to happen. She then, of course, wrote a book later on, which I recommend to you to read. It's all, uh, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Right? This idea that everything happens for a reason, and that, friends, was one of the things that drove me crazy the most when I was in this evangelical contest, because I had a friend that was going through a divorce with his spouse early on in their marriage, and he had looked after God and said, God, you know, I need your help with this, as he went from bar to bar to try to find his spouse that was going out clubbing and doing all kinds of reckless behavior. And of course, what was one of the answers that people gave to give him sort of solace? Don't worry. Don't worry. God's got this, right? Everything happens for a reason. This is just a test. 
the implications of that, right? Think about the implications of what that means for God is really somewhat disturbing, that you have this divine figure up in the clouds, you know, like kind of like the puppet master controlling all the things of our lives, right? And so when bad things come your way, don't worry, it was just a test. But when good things come your way, good job, pat on the back, you did well with this. And I know that I'm not alone, or I wasn't alone at this time in my life. In fact, I had, a, I worshiped at a church that was called an emergent church, and it was made up of post-evangelicals, and one of the traumas that they had experienced the most was this idea that God is both good, but then always in control, even of the bad things in our life. Because the flip side of that means that God is controlling and dueling out these bad things in our lives. And on my journey, one of my departures from that context, I remember sitting down with a mentor, and the mentor saying, Brian, I think that sometimes people are looking to God to change the pieces of the chessboard as if they're playing checkers. Sometimes you're looking to God to change the pieces of the chessboard as if you're playing checkers, that all of a sudden God is in control and dueling out the punishment, and that God will kind of, you know, hop you over that circumstance in your life. I talked about the faith, foundational faith, right? We were talking about that. And I will uh, probably say this with pretty strong conviction, that those people who have that faith have not made it through a perfect life with no challenges and tribulations, right? In fact, it's quite the opposite. Those people are the people sometimes that you're like, wait a second, how do you have that faith? How do you have that faith? Because you've had, you know, you went through a a loss of a child during pregnancy, or you dealt with a a really dramatic divorce, or you lost your parents when you were a child. Like, you, you should not believe in a good God anymore in your life, right? Those are the people oftentimes that have this faith that's sturdy as a rock. Some of you know uh, a a pillar of our church who passed away during COVID-19 was Natalie Oda. She was uh, a little Japanese woman. She was so amazing. We loved her. At 97 years old, she was helping out with vacation Bible school, doing crafts, and she was one of those people that had this rock-solid faith. And you'd think it's Natalie, you know, everyone loves her, you know, she does all this good in the community, but, you know, she's had this great life. But if you ever had a chance to sit down with her and talk to her about her life, it was not easy. And she she lost two of her husbands later in life. She also almost died in the Northwest when uh, a storm had come in and a roof collapsed and something fell on her and they told her she was never going to walk again. And yet, there she was with this rock-solid faith, even up until she was 99 years old. And she had that sort of story. This was a a point of privilege that I had when I was talking to Dee Nicole. We were talking, who was our intern over the past uh, month or so, just left a few weeks ago. Because we were talking about this sort of tension, about pain in people's lives, and the expectation for when we pray for something to change in our lives. And she said that in her community, which was the black church community, that in her community, people prayed for change because it was what gave them hope. 
And I said, that's so interesting, Dean Nicole, because it, you know, kind of rubs me wrong when people pray that, you know, like, all of a sudden they're going to be healed, or all of a sudden that these things are going to happen, because, you know, for my context, when they make that prayer, and it's, I think, somewhat of a privileged thing, when they make that prayer, they expect God to do it, right? And she said, Brian, that's not how we do it in the African-American community. In the black church, we pray because it is the only thing that gives us hope, right? Because so much has gone wrong in our lives. And I said, that's interesting because in my white church communities, we pray, and when God doesn't come through, we're devastated and we can't believe in that God anymore because that God is awful, right? Because that's the expectation we hold sometimes. That checker piece hops over the pain because we don't think that we should ever have to deal with pain, and we certainly know those helicopter parents, right? They just kind of helicopter over in case that the child gets a C on that report card. They swoop in, right, and they say to the teacher, what is wrong with you? Why would you give my child a C? He's the brightest student in the class. I know all of you are the brightest students in the class, right? Or the ones who, you know, even in college, I remember as a resident advisor in college, there's been that I was like in college managing the crazy college kids, right? And one of the times I got a call from the mom about how I was so harsh to the student, I was like, okay, I'm sorry, maybe I am, but he also took an aerosol can and lit a flamethrower and flamed a kid as he was walking down the hall. You know, we didn't really charge him with attempted arson, which is what it was, so he has some consequences for that. I'm sorry, right? Consequences happen, and then we try to do everything we can to avoid them for ourselves and to make sure our kids don't actually have to deal with it. That's sort of this one of those expectations of, like, privilege I was talking about, but it plays into our faith. It plays into our faith. And it causes us to not just miss opportunities of growth, but to not hear God amidst our pain. I want, uh, I want to throw up a slide, Jenna, if you're back there, uh, a quote from C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciousness, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. If you have been in a valley in your life, my guess, my guess, and you've had the sort of the sense that I'm talking about is rock solid, is in the valley, not in all the good times, where you recognized God's power and love the most. Because God is not in the program of getting us to avoid pain. I'm sorry. If you think that that's what God is about, that's just not what God is about. In fact, our scripture lesson this morning was exactly that, right? Jesus was talking to his disciples about what? Him leaving. And that they're going to be the ones who are going to continue to pray and talk to God. But what does he say in it? He says, in this world, you will have all good things, right? That's what he said, you know, everything will come your way because you followed me. Great job, pat on the back, good job. No, he says, in this life, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. Other translations, you will have persecution. Jesus knew following him did not mean pie in the sky, everything was going to be perfect. In fact, all but one of the disciples found their way to martyrdom all. In this life, you will have trouble. 
Jesus says. But you will have peace. You will have peace. Perhaps you are at this point in your life that I'm talking about, this valley. God's not going to necessarily magically move a wand and make it better. But God and Jesus promises, promises on the cross to always be with you. Period. That no matter what you're going through, God's love is with you in that moment. There's a scene from Proverbs of Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly and then, you know, the gentleman wandering through the streets. And throughout it, it talks about how Lady Wisdom is screaming, yelling, shouting from the rooftops. Heed my voice. But we're too distracted with the day-to-day. Where are you, God? My life is too hard for you. When all the time, God's voice is calling to us from the rooftop. And I know many of us have had this time in our life, and perhaps that was one of our most faith foundational. And some of us, online, perhaps even in the room, are in those places. The words that we have for you is not, do this and it will get better. The words we have for you is that God is with you. A theologian named Jürgen Moltmann talks about the cross and the crucified one on the cross and says that Jesus is forevermore the crucified one. Because wherever there is pain, Wherever there is suffering, in Afghanistan, in Haiti, with the fires in California, with the people who are watching their loved ones in the hospital, and the nurses and doctors taking care of the people that are in the hospital, all those places where there are pain, in the breakup in your relationship, in the sort of check, the mark on your career, wherever that is, Jesus is forevermore the crucified one, because Jesus is suffering right alongside of you. Not saying things will be perfect tomorrow, but saying that I am with you. And those were the words that he left with the disciples in that, this kind of pericope in this section of the scripture. You will have peace, not because things will be great, always. You will have peace because I have overcome the world. That's what the resurrection is about. That's what the power of Jesus raising from the grave is about. That he has conquered even death and that nothing can separate you from his love. He suffered with us so that we will never have to suffer alone. Again, this is not something that you can change in your life. You can't manufacture a pivotal circumstance, and I don't think necessarily you would want to. But please don't avoid it either, or attempt to put all of life's energy into avoiding it for your loved one, because you will rob them of opportunities to grow in their faith. 
And ultimately, I think that that's what it means when tested, right? You know, God is testing us. I don't think God is testing us, but I do think our faith is tested. I do think our faith can be tested. In the same way that I don't believe that you're closer to God if you do these things, that you're as close to God yesterday, tomorrow, and today, in your doubts and uncertainties, always, because God came to us to be with us. Can't change your closeness. But you can continue to make that prayer, God, you are good even amidst the hard times in your life, not because it's going to get better, but because on the cross, God was with you always, and that you will never suffer alone. And when you don't feel like you have the energy to wake up tomorrow, God is with you. So tell that story to friends. Because one of the things I think that we do in life is we pretend that everything is, how you doing? I'm doing great. How was college? It was awesome minus my roommate who, you know, did these things to me, or, you know, minus this terrible decision that I had, you know, I got on the road after drinking too much alcohol and got a DUI, and it it just devastated so much. We try to avoid those conversations because of pride, because, you know, image, whatever it is, and yet it's in those teachable moments in our lives that God transforms us. So share them with people. Don't hide it. And don't try to avoid pain in your life at all costs or in the lives of someone else that you love. Instead, listen to that megaphone of God speaking in that moment. Tell the story of your time when God spoke to you in that dark, dark valley. When you learned that God is good, period, even in the pain because that's one of the pieces that makes our faith steadfast. It's that no matter what, Jesus is with us always. I invite you to pray with me.